0: where uh where he gets his phone and the battery keeps dying and the signal keeps dying i'm just like my fucking god like dude the... i guess they didn't have 5g back in like 2004 dude, but i didn't even have lt what was it was it 3g yeah 3g was but it then... a single
1: G? I finally watch Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of I Finally Watched. This is David.
0: And this is Elan. And I finally watched Collateral. I mean Oblivion. No, I mean Collateral.
1: You know, so Elan's making a joke that I didn't know he was going to do. But what happened was we decided, after doing A Few Good Men, for synergy purposes, that we would do a Tom Cruise movie the week that Mission Impossible comes out. And in fact, the day this comes out, we are both going to be in the biggest screen nearby watching. <laughs> Dead Reckoning part one. Yep. And we decided to do Oblivion and we both got halfway through it. And the next day when we were like, All right, I guess we got to finish this. And it's just like, we don't really want to talk about it because and you finished it. I did not. I never got around to finishing oh, it.
0: I'm surprised I'm the one who finished it, honestly.
1: It's it's not even that it's like horrible. It's just so middling, just so like kind of uninteresting and just like whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That is like it wouldn't even have been fun to talk about it from a like a it's horrible perspective, because to me it wasn't horrible. I just like didn't care about it at all.
0: Yeah, it's it's uh, it's not horrible. And I think that's its biggest fault, right? Because at least if it was like really bad then it could have been like somewhat more entertaining. But the fact that it was just mid all the way through. Um, yeah. And then just kind of dwindled there in the end for me, at least. Do you want to talk about the structure of, of Oblivion for literally two minutes and then we'll move on to collateral?
1: Not particularly. I will say the one thing I, more I wanted to say is that collateral was directed by Joseph Kaczynski who also did the graphic novel that the movie was based off. And what is surprising about that is Joseph Kaczynski has done other things that you and I both like a lot, Top Gun right. Maverick. And then he just did Spiderhead, which is on Netflix, which I actually thought was really good. Um, I'm curious if like, if we would actually have enjoyed graphic novel i would probably never read a graphic novel but just <laughs> i don't know I mean, I mean it's just like the movie is kind of like structurally it just kind of gives you gives away stuff like in the beginning and then i know you told me i don't oh, want to sp- i don't want to sp- about
0: you're talking about this graphic novel of oblivion no i'm talking about the movie sort of
1: gives away a lot of details like in the beginning
0: no, but you're talking about oblivion yeah What what do you mean you said collateral earlier uh, well, yeah,
1: sorry, talking about Oblivion, that's because we should move on to Collateral. But Oblivion gives away a lot of like a lot of details of the ending, and then you kind of told me, oh, well, this is how it actually ends. And I was like, well, I mean, I guess that's kind of cool, but it doesn't really pay off that much. And I don't want you to spoil it for people because the title of this episode is Collateral, so I don't want you to tell them how it ends.
0: I won't tell them how it ends, but you're right in the sense that, and this is the biggest fault of the of the film, I feel like, is that it sets all this up, in the beginning um, to tell you exactly what the movie is going to be. And then it throws in a couple of things in towards the end of the movie that seemingly come out of left field. And then they don't tie. And that would be cool. I guess that would be considered a twist. But the fact that they don't tie into anything much after that I think that's where like it gets messy and plot gets lost and then it becomes kind of a bad film. But I guess that's why we quit halfway through and moved on to Collateral, another Tom Cruise movie. You know, what's interesting real quick. Last thing about
1: Joseph Kaczynski, because I'm just looking at his IMDb, is the first thing he ever did was the Gears of War commercial that had the song Mad World in it. You know that song? Oh my
0: God. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's like such an iconic commercial. So he did that, and then the next thing he did was Tron Legacy, which is crazy that that's basically his like directorial debut. They gave him that. Yeah. Um, then he does Oblivion, and then he does Only the Brave, which I heard is really good, and then Top Gun: Maverick and Spiderhead. Um, but like I said, I mean, like he's he's obviously a very good director. It's just that like,
0: yeah, that one. Yeah, just the way this was written and laid out. I wonder if there was some, I mean, you have a competent director and then you have Tom Cruise. You just wonder if there was some production trouble that forced a uh, certain edit or certain creative decisions that led this movie down the wrong path. But let's not talk about this anymore. Um, (laughs) Let's talk about. Well, I
1: mean, I did want to talk about one other thing because I remember saying son of a bitch.
0: No, I just about
1: Tom Cruise generally that like I was like, well, you know, I mean, this is only this is one of his only few misses of the last, you know, decade. But then I looked through it and I was like, oh, actually, for me, unless it was Edge of Tomorrow or Mission Impossible, they've all kind of I actually like all kind of been misses. Um, I actually like thought the Mummy movie was okay, but like people hated that. Um, So
0: what what are the misses? Uh, The Mummy movie, Jack Reacher 2 and then. Um, America Made,
1: American Made, yeah, which American Made I think people liked. I, without spoiling it, yeah, I just didn't like the story. Um, uh, so yeah, like that's why I don't know, just this didn't is, work for me.
0: This has been quick reviews of all Tom Cruise movies by the I finally watched. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Let's get into collateral. Um, you don't this say.
1: is so this is a movie that was kind of. When I first saw it in theaters, a little like I, I talked about this before, like Michael Mann was kind of one of the first directors, mainstream directors that went to digital. And the look of this movie really threw me in the beginning. And I kind of like even to this day, when a movie is done digitally, if it's not done well, it's like hard for me to enjoy it. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if that's just like the programming of how I've watched movies my whole life. So this one. Watching it was, um, like, when it came in theaters, it was just kind of tough for me. I watched this movie again in the last, like, six months when it was streaming on, I don't know, one of the 10 services I have. And I think that was, like, an HD presentation of it. And I was like, all right, yeah, you know what? This has kind of grown on me. I I rewatched Miami Vice, like, 2018, you know, early 2019. And I thought that was pretty good compared to what i thought the first time i saw it um (laughs) for this rewatch it's not streaming anywhere and i went to my dad's and grabbed my dvd copy of it and man the the difference between dvd and and like blu-ray level hd is is stark um
0: you sent me this as a link um and you sent it to me in like 720p and so I didn't notice it was just kind of like this grain all around and I was just like, okay with it. Like it was clear enough for me to be okay with. So I watched it like that. So I didn't get the, like the starkness of new digital HD or anything like that.
1: Yeah. Um. But when, I mean, once you get past that part of it and I think, I don't know, I think it's, I'm kind of, you, you know, you're used to it now because it's digital is definitely like more, just more, present in our lives. Um, this is, like, a really great movie. Uh, it's, like, a very interesting... I was reading this thing about, like, Tom Cruise's only done... Um, two, he's only been the villain, like, two other times. But those were, like... One was Interview with the Vampire, and the other one was, like, sort of, like, a, a quasi thing. But he's, like, an evil hitman in this. And so it's, like, so... Out of character for the characters that he plays, which is so interesting because I think for the first time this time when I was watching it, he's actually such an, a nuanced character in this. Like, yeah. There's quite a bit of gray with him. Um.
0: Yeah, I mean, up till the end, right? Because I think the whole point of this is like he's going around killing bad guys and Not you necessarily. Kind of, well, yeah, I know. But then you kind of find out that, well, that's what he tells Max, played by Jamie Foxx, right? Right. Um, he says, you know, it makes you feel better. They're they're bad people. And then you find out that some of them are bad. But then basically what they all have in common, what his victims all have in common, is that they're supposed to be witnesses for a trial uh, to condemn a, what is it, a cartel drug lord? Something like that? Yeah. And uh, and I and and I think it, you know what's funny? It's like we're willing to accept that as the audience, like okay, whatever. And then Max is willing to accept that. And then you see that his last target is the prosecuting attorney who we've met before, who who Max has met before. And then it's like, oh, we know she's a completely innocent player in the game. So now, at that point, he has become um the villain without question yeah well but there's even some stuff in
1: the end that i want to talk about like how I, to me there's some nuance with them and i think we can get to it in the end um the other thing is like <laughs> i was getting in the shower today and i was just thinking back to and you and i have done this before the whole um there's the interview with Jamie Foxx when he talks about Quentin Tarantino. And he's like, he's like, uh, yeah, on Jing, And he's like, so he comes to me and he's like, listen, I knew this was going to happen. You're not cool. Okay. You're a slave. And this one, what I just thought, like, Michael Mann's <laughs> like, you're not cool. Okay. You're a dork. You're a cab driver. You're not cool. You're not going to be a cool guy. You're a dork.
0: All right. <laughs> you, you know, what's kind of funny. It's like this character is like a, a very toned down version of, um, the character he plays in the amazing Spider-Man (laughs) Two, like, like the, the electro character. I I never saw that one. You never saw that one. So basically before he becomes electro, I've seen
1: the, I've seen stills of him, but like, I never watched the movie. Yeah. Like with the, the glasses all the way down the nose and the hair, like
0: bad hair. That's, in his face, yeah, bad teeth, and and everything is fixed by being electrocuted by some eels. But before he becomes electro, before he gets electrocuted by the eels, his name is also Max in the in that movie too. But he's like the biggest loser, dork thing, um, dude. And <laughs> this character is like a super toned down version. It's not that bad, but he's playing a loser, um. And so when he's talking to jada pinkett smith by the way um yeah it's it's he's he's not smooth with her he's clumsy but then he's like i i don't want to even say charming but there's something about him that kind of like she likes um i guess it's just like his hopefulness and like the way he, he views the world because he wants to have this like tropical exclusive limo service Um just to open that up. And so he has a dream, right? And so she kind of gravitates towards that. It took me, I did not recognize her, by the way, Jada. I, I was looking at her throughout the whole movie and I was like, I don't know who this is. And then her credits at the end, I was like, holy shit. I, yeah, I mean, I see it now, but. uh, Yeah, I mean, I'm not.
1: I, I think maybe the 720p might have played into that. <laughs> you didn't maybe. recognize her. Also, maybe. I just, I I never, I don't know. I'm not trying to, to like denigrate her, but I've known her more as like Will Smith's wife than I have like seen her in movies. I just haven't like, she hasn't been in a ton that I've seen, right? But this is like one that I remember. And I'm like, oh, Jade is in this. Um, yeah. But I think that's probably maybe has something to do with it. Do you want to, do you want to start from the top?
0: let it drop yes i i i I don't know i would like to start from the top so i mean we start out by being introduced to max and his hopes and his dreams no no, that's not what i'm
1: start about at all i want to start when tom cruise is walking through the airport and the fucking transporter yeah jason statham that's right that's
0: wow that's right yeah
1: so um there was like this whole like fan theory thing on the internet and I don't know where it started or if it started with the screenwriter, but um, basically like is that the transporter came out, I think the same year and the screenwriter of the movie has said that the two movies are in the same universe. Well, if they're in the same universe then that means that was the transporter, right? That he was playing right. that character from the so movie. Who,
0: who wrote and directed the transporter? I don't know. I can because... look it up. Well, no, no, it's okay, because the question... Lupuson. Okay, so it's not Peter Berg, who is in this movie.
1: No. Do Do you think Peter Berg convinced Jamie Foxx to do The Kingdom when they were in this movie
0: together? You know the correlation between, like, Peter Berg and Michael Mann? They have very similar art styles in their directing. Grainy,
1: like, very grainy, which is supposed to be, like, I don't know, more gritty gritty grainy
0: the stark yeah the grittiness the the stark lighting and also like the subject matter someone is always shooting in one of these motherfuckers movies
1: on the rundown i guess there's not
0: shooting until the
1: end because he doesn't like guns but i get your point yeah get your point um and then yeah so then we do uh we meet up with jada pinkett getting picked up by max and um I, like, this time was, like, what are the chances that just this, like, successful female attorney is giving her number to a cab driver? Because she totally gives it to him because she's, like, interested in him. Right. Um, And so I just was, like, especially considering he's kind of got this very, like, kind of closed off sort of muted personality, right? But, like, I guess she's attracted to his kind of, like, the way he handles... Knowing where to go because it seems like directions around the city are important
0: to her too. Like she's kind
1: of a know-it-all about that.
0: There is that, but there's also the fact that what are the odds that the hitman assigned to kill her also gets in his cab?
1: Ah, uh, it like there's a bunch of like little coincidences in this movie that are like okay, you, you just have to buy. It, it at least makes sense that he would be at her building because. He's like scoping it out to to kill her later on. But the fact of the timing of it, of him coming out right afterwards is like, yeah, just super coincidental.
0: And like, I mean, Tom Cruise says it the best, right? He's like, it's kismet. It's like it's meant to be the universe. The cosmos has like. Put him in that cab at the wrong place at the right time or however he said it, right? And so it's like, I guess that's just what you have to by what you have to believe.
1: Well yeah, I, I mean I say this for a lot of movies that it's like did you want to see the version of this movie where he gets in a different cab and just kills everyone and Jamie you know what I mean like this is just the version that we saw like it it's the more interesting of them. So sometimes like you just have to suspend your disbelief that these coincidences can happen. Um and then he and then he picks up Also, I, I bef- before we get to Tom Cruise, I didn't think his limo idea was
0: that great. <laughs> um i mean it's his dream david who are you to to destroy a man's dream i'm not destroying it i'm just giving an opinion you know he can still do
1: it and maybe uh maybe i'll be wrong you know Mm. it's possible
0: Mm. recently the most recent thing i watched from michael mann it's not even something he directed but something he executive produced was a tokyo vice um and it's like the, I think I mentioned this on the podcast before when we did, um, some of the Michael Mann thing we did, but the heat, I mean, heat, not the heat, <laughs> the not heat. The Melissa. if he did the Melissa McCarthy movie, that'd be great. But no heat is what you're referring to. I think, um, it could have been heat. I don't know. But, but my point is, is that, um, this fucking heat. Yeah. Um. I think that is that the only other Michael Mann thing. He okay. also
1: directed one episode of Tokyo Vice. I mean, he's directed Black Hat, Public Enemies, Miami Vice, Collateral, Ali, The Insider, Last the Mohicans, Hunter, The Keep.
0: And we've only done Heat. Well, I'm I'm talking about Tokyo Vice right now. My point is saying that it's very good.
1: Oh, oh, good. I'm glad we got there. That is important to me that you got to say that, that it was very good. I'm pretty sure you said it was very good on the heat episode too. So Cruz gets in the cab and I don't know, there's like a lot of dialogue
0: here and there that.
1: This is a very simple movie that you can still say lasts it. like... it's
0: not important. The dialogue, a lot of
1: it is not important. It's not important for plot purposes. I guess that obviously the writer and the director is like making a point with it. Um, but some, I think, okay, well, here's my major thing, right? Uh, the movie does this really cool thing at the beginning where Tom Cruise is like, you know, everyone in this town is so disconnected. I read this story about this guy who rode the MTA for six hours dead. And then at the end of the movie, Tom Cruise dies on the MTA, the right. subway system. And instead of just letting people figure that out on their own, the connection Tom Cruise, in his dying words, is like, hey, remember that thing about <laughs> someone dying on the MTA and riding it for six hours?
0: You think they're going to notice if I'm dead on the MTA? Yeah. yeah. I was like, just
1: don't spell it out for us. I actually probably would have missed it, like, slash forgotten about the beginning of it. Um, But, like, don't spell it out for the dumb people like me. Just, like, let <laughs> it sit. Like, let people find that out on their own.
0: Yeah, I... Uh... I agree with you. I could see a bunch of exec like execs getting together and being like, "Well, that's a great ending, Michael, but you have to spell it out for the general audience." And he'll be like, "Great, fine."
1: For the dummies like David. I d- you know, I d- I've s- I've said this all along though that movies have gotten better at this where they don't spell things out for you as much, like where they're like
0: Some movies, yeah. Definitely. The good ones yeah, the good ones. You know, I that, I think that's the most famous shot. At least that's the shot that I recognize from this movie the most is Tom Cruise dead on the subway. That wide where he's just kind of slumped over. That's, to me, is the most recognizable shot of the film. Uh,
1: I don't know. I think to me it was probably just jamie fox in the cab with tom cruise behind him like, the whole time
0: there's that there's also that scene where he shoots those uh guys who rob jamie fox and then hey homie yeah yeah yeah. there's that scene i feel like that one's pretty pretty known to this movie too um I right, but let's get there because i i do want to talk about that scene more um I think we're at the first stop already. Where we he are. Kills, yeah.
1: uh, I loved how many times and how many different ways Tom Cruise calls Ramon fat, the guy he killed. He's like, I kill one fat Angelino, and you lose your shit. He's like, just because fat boy had to stand in front of a window. Like, he
0: just keeps saying it. What are the <laughs> like, how unlucky for that body to hit the cab?
1: Well, first of all, you have to have Jamie Foxx say, oh, I don't want st- to I don't want to be parked out in front. Because I don't want to be double parked. And he's like, okay, we'll drive around to the side. And then, yeah. And then for him to stand in front of a window. Um, you know, what I was thinking uh, when when you go inside the apartment right after this with Ruffalo, I was like, dude, this is such a dude's apartment, the way it's designed. Like the little, like, there's like, you know what I mean? It just doesn't have like a woman's touch on it.
0: Like the and one there, couch it's... with the one TV and the one bed. And that... then
1: there's just like this leaf above the bed, right? And then I read somewhere that like this was just some dude's apartment and the only thing they added was like a big screen TV, like in one of the rooms. That was it.
0: Dudes didn't even have a big screen TV.
1: And they I don't unsure if they let him keep it. You know, you'd hope, right?
0: Um, so it took me the whole movie to figure out that this was Jada Pinkett Smith. It took me a good bit of this movie to figure out that that was Ruffalo.
1: Yeah, I mean with the slick you know, you're normally looking for like the curly hair that's like a you know, he's got a little usually it's like not slicked back like this. So yeah, it's definitely and like at the time I wouldn't have like known to be like, Oh, that's Mark Ruffalo. I realized it like six months ago when I watched it again. But yeah, it's 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 also just like like you said like the lighting of this movie and like how it's like all at night, um, just also just makes it difficult.
0: Well, it's his look too, but they also took away a lot of Ruffalo mannerisms. That he usually has in his character, they gave him this this different type of thing that he pulls off well. I, I when I was watching this, I kind of spread it over two days. So I watched up to the point where he goes to confront Javier Bardem in in, um, in the club, and uh, uh, it was like it was so late at night, and I'm like struggling to get through this that I just pause and then continue in the morning. But I didn't recognize him because I guess I was just so sleepy. And then when I woke up and watched the rest of the movie, when I like backtracked a little bit to like watch that scene again, I was like, holy shit, that's heavier Bardem. Well, I think it's the only
1: time too that I can remember seeing him with like a buzz cut like that too. So it also like changes him a little bit too. I'm
0: well, sure it's, in, here. it's interesting the way they take these well-known actors and they changed them in this film in such a way. If if Tom Cruise wasn't such a recognizable figure in Hollywood, giving him this like gray, white hair is also a stark contrast on like what you would usually see Tom Cruise look like.
1: No, yeah, absolutely. I agree. Um, Jamie Foxx just looked like Jamie Foxx. <laughs> I don't think there wasn't so much change going yeah, on. That's there. true. That's true. Except he was nerdy.
0: I was going to say, he usually, like, up till that point, he usually plays, like, a pretty cool guy character, right? So. Yeah. Now, there is some cool... I I do want to say that Tom Cruise's
1: dialogue in this movie is cool. It's probably, like, part of the reason he took it. But Jamie Foxx, like, after this first shooting, after he helps him clean it up, he's like, you know, it ain't my job to drive around killing people. And he's like, well, tonight it is. (laughs) It's like, you weren't supposed to know about this, but plan B, we got to roll with it. And then just, like, a bunch of other, like, bullshit, like was it Ichi or whatever? I can't even remember what he says. And Jamie Foxx is like, what the fuck are you even saying? Like, none of that makes sense. I don't want to kill people. Um, And then they get stopped by these cops. And this was also just like a very, another like coincidental thing, right? Like the cops are going to make them open the trunk. And Tom Cruise is like, dude, if they make me open the trunk, I'm going to kill them. That's going to be on you. You need to make them go away. And then as the cops are walking up, he's like, that guy's probably married. The other guy's probably got kids like that. They're never going to see him again. Like, you know, you gotta, you really got to make this happen. And then it just so happens that like a shooting call and they're like, all right, well you can just, you know, just take the cab and take it.
0: This movie's called collateral because. Jamie Foxx is the collateral within this whole like underworld hitman thing. But the alternate title to this movie could easily be just called Coincidence. (laughs) Um, And I'm thinking especially like when they go to visit Jamie Foxx's mother in the hospital, how Ruffalo gets into the same elevator as them.
1: Yeah, well, this movie came out uh, around the same time as like Crash. And Crash is like a movie full of like... Yeah, that's right. ...coincidences and how things like all tie together. So I think this was a big like storytelling like device back in the day the fact that ruffalo walks into the elevator at the same time as them as the audience you're like oh what's gonna happen they don't know he's a cop he doesn't know these are the bad guys this is like meaningless in the grand scheme of things like nothing's gonna happen right here right so it's just like it's just in there to be in there but it doesn't matter
0: yeah, they don't make connections to the taxi until he actually goes to the morgue in the elevator and then makes the connections to the body and then they meet up with the, who are they, the FBI? Uh, Yeah. And then and then they draw the connection to the taxi. I like how interested
1: that mor- morgue worker is and how proud of himself is. He's like, dude, I think all these victims are connected. And he's like, how? He's like, D- wound pattern? And he's just, look at this, two in the chest, one in the head. That's like tactical shit. And Mark Ruffalo's like agrees with him. The guy's like, fuck, yeah, I nailed this (laughs) because
0: he never gets to do anything cool. (laughs) Uh, I I feel like Michael Mann also does a very good job of taking these little characters and giving them all these little like minute details that gives them a lot of personality. Like it's it's quick, but it's extremely layered um, and detailed, especially how how like easily they come in and out of this film. Like, even Tom Cruise, who's supposed to be this, like, hitman, has this underlying worry that his life is meaningless, and it's not, like, largely projected throughout the whole film, because I think this film is still, you know, it's focused on Jamie Foxx being the main character, but for Tom Cruise being worried that no one's going to notice his dead body on the subway, like, that's that's a human thought to a very like inhumane character.
1: You know what though? I actually think this is the whole point I want to make and I want to make it towards the end. I actually think his character is a little more humane than like the movie kind of shows you at first blush. Um, so we can get to it now. So, you know, he goes to the second killing, uh, zip ties his hands, these fucking, uh, like swastika-wearing motherfuckers come up and steal Jamie Foxx's wallet and steal the briefcase. Tom Cruise comes out. The hey, homie line is is funny every time. Um, And Tom Cruise, he's like, you know, if you attract attention, you're going to get more people killed. And then he's like, do you like jazz? And then we're off to that. But...
0: (laughs) Do you like jazz?
1: The scene I want to talk about really is the Ruffalo is at the crime scene now, the first killing. Um, It's also just highly coincidental, right, that Ruffalo goes to this guy... Right after he's been killed, like within it feels like minutes, mm-hmm. you know, based on like the way the movie's presenting it, and you know, they're like canvassing the area, and one of the you know the other officers is like, oh, I just talked to this person that said a cab was parked here, uh, but they didn't have very good eyesight, and Ruffler's like, Oh, you know, there's this cabbie up in Oakland that went around killing three people, um, but the detective never bought it because the guy didn't have a criminal record and you know he always thought someone else was in that cab um and so then that's told to you in a very kind of expositiony way so that you're like oh tom cruise is going to kill him at the end of this Uh, and he was always going to kill him like that's the way he does this right but which is it's not necessarily true because we don't know why he killed that cabbie. It could have, you know, something could have happened that caused him to kill him. Maybe he wouldn't have, if, you know, whatever. Um, maybe Tom Cruise isn't as good of a hitman as we think. But right. um, I think it at least puts it in your head that, oh, he's planning on killing Jamie Foxx at the end of this. That was always the plan. He was never going to just pay him and let him live.
0: You know, I know you said that as a joke that Tom Cruise is not as good as a hitman as we think, but I literally thought somewhere towards the like middle end of that of this movie, it was going to reveal that Tom Cruise is a horrible hitman and it would actually explain a lot from this film, like how much he's botched all of these jobs.
1: Like Felix is like, "You lost the briefcase again. How do you keep doing this?"
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. He's like, that's why. That's why he couldn't go to Felix because he's had to go to him before. And he's like, I just can't keep doing this. I can't like, I can't face him anymore. Um, we're next at the jazz club. I um, one thing that I, I took from this scene is so the guy who is the jazz player, um, I recognized him. Obviously, I recognized him from a ton of stuff. But the main thing I recognized him from was Miami Vice. I actually thought he was in Heat too, but no, it was just it was Miami Vice. He's also been in Ali. What I think is interesting is Michael Mann, like a lot of directors, likes to use a lot of like these same people throughout movies. So like Jamie Foxx was in Ali, this Miami Vice. Um Al Pacino was in Heat in the Insider. And then Russell Crowe was in The Insider, directed by Michael Mann. And he actually is the one that brought the script collateral to Michael Mann to be in it. But then it took so long that Russell Crowe had to back out, but Michael Mann
0: stayed on. I am so glad Russell Crowe. Yeah. Cause he would have taken Tom Cruise's role, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad it was Tom
1: Cruise. The, the alternate casting at the end of this is going to be fun. Cause there's like a ton of different like people that could have been in, in random spots. I think, uh, one that I didn't even write down to talk about, but like Johnny Depp was, uh, was up for the for the jamie fox part for max so there's just like a ton of like iterations of what this movie you know could have been but the jazz the jazz club part is really cool i i love how they're just having this conversation jamie fox is like oh finally everything's cool and then uh tom cruise is like that's a great story they're gonna love that in cartagena and the, the fucking the jazz guy's like
0: Man I thought you were cool. <laughs> yeah, th- this what this movie does too is like it makes you think that um like as the suspense is rising for Jamie Fox, it's rising for us as the audience. And then as it's like cooling down, like seemingly um the situation is becoming a calm one. Uh, Jamie Foxx starts to feel it. We start to feel it. And then it's like taken away from us immediately. And it's taken away from him immediately. So you're on this like roller coaster of emotions that that Jamie Foxx's character Max is experiencing. But we're also experiencing it simultaneously as the audience. Um, like when well, during the their his third hit with the, um, the Asian dude at the club. I think that, Was that fourth? Well, how many people do you have to kill in total?
1: He had to kill five. So he killed Ramon. And then the second guy was like Ramon's lawyer. And then.
0: The jazz guy. And the jazz Asian guy's guy.
1: three. Asian guy's four. And yeah. then Jade is five. After the jazz club, he's going out and he's like, keeps getting this call from his boss. I liked earlier when, this is one of the things I'm talking about. So Tom Cruise is like hearing uh, Jamie Foxx's boss yell at him and say, oh, you're going to pay for the cab. And then Tom Cruise is like, you don't have to take that shit, which is like one of the reasons I think Tom Cruise may have not killed him. Um, he's like, hey, you tell him to like kiss your ass. And then he gets on. He's like, I'm going to, once again, Tom Cruise loves playing an attorney, even like a fake attorney in this one. He's like, hey, I'm a U.S. attorney and you're trying to extort this guy. I'm going to be all up your fucking ass. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, let's talk about it. He's like, no, there's nothing to talk about. And then, you know, um, he does that. So then later on, uh, the mom is looking for him. The dispatcher's like, yo, your mom keeps calling. You need to talk to her. And uh, Tom Cruise is like, if your mom's looking for you, I can't have people looking for you. So we have to go to your mom. He's like, I'm not going to take you to my mom. He's like, since when is this a fucking negotiation? And then they go to his mom's. And what I think is so funny about this is like, so to escape the situation with the mom, he steals his briefcase. And it's not as if he was like, oh, I just hate what you're doing. It's just like, I don't want to be with my mom and you anymore, so I'm going to run out and take your briefcase and throw it away because of like how uncomfortable the situation with my mother is making me.
0: I took that, but also like he wants to get this hitman away from his mother. Like He doesn't quite know his capabilities yet, right? So he wants to kind of save his mother in a way. Um, but yeah, so so he runs away, he throws the briefcase, now he has to go and retrieve the docket back and this is great because throughout the whole movie you're seeing max's character arc to become more and more like vincent you know throughout and here where he's in front of javier bardem and the rest of the cartel it's this it's this fake out right like he's mimicking him you know, tell
1: it, your man, tell your man to put that gun away. I'm gonna beat his bitch ass with it.
0: <laughs> well, like he repeated, um he repeated what Tom Cruise said to him in the beginning to Javier Bardem, like word for word. It was like a quote or something. I forget exactly what it was. Well,
1: no, yeah, it was the ichi Ching, the the ichi shit or whatever. Yeah, yeah he yeah, said yeah. like, yeah, roll with it. um Yeah, yeah. He's just sort of playing a character. I do think it was a little unbelievable how believable he was as like the character of Max, but like I was fine
0: with it. Um, Yeah, I I took it as like it was a survival instinct that kicked in. He's like, I got to I got to And I was really thinking, too, like he was like, how long have you been on this job? Like if they ask, like, I need to have as much information as I can possibly have to convincingly be you. And he said a bunch of stuff, but like one of the things, and it's like, I think the only thing that came up was that he's been doing this for six years. And it's not like they outrightly asked him, you know, we don't believe who you are, who you say you are. So how long have you been doing this? But then he like casually slips in. He's like, I've been doing this for six years and not once have I ever, you know, blah, 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 blah.
1: It was also funny. He's like, how long have you been doing this? And he's like private sector, sector six years. So was like, obviously, like military before this. Right. Um, th- there is some like cool conversation between Max and Vince where, you know, Max starts asking him about. or No, I think Vince is trying to make Max feel better about his mom. And he's like, you know, they project onto you what they, you know, what they want, you know, their flaws.
0: Because Vincent and- talks about his bad, his bad um, bringing up with his father. And the only thing I could think of when bringing when- up upbringing upbringing with his father the only thing i could think of when he said that was um magnolia and i was like what if max is the same character for magnolia but like after his father dies vincent he he becomes vincent oh yeah what if yeah what if vincent you know same character but then he becomes this character after his father dies
1: yeah, I don't think the timeline works, but I mean, whatever works for you, I'm fine with it, really. So the other thing that I want to say about the scene where they're talking before they get to Felix is is that it kind of feels like Vince likes Max, right? He's like, you know, 12 years is temporary. Well, you know, why are you not making this limo thing happen? And earlier he's asked, like, why are you not asking the, this woman out? You know, that gave you her number. Like, why are you know?
0: like He's just, trying like, to he's trying to better his life. Yeah.
1: So like, just, you know, get your shit together. You, you can't keep waiting. Um. And then they get to Felix's. And at the same time, Ruffalo goes to the feds who happen to be watching Felix's. Another coincidence. Um, And the feds like don't want to tell Ruffalo, who's an L.A. cop, anything. And he's like, well, you know, I have these three people that are dead and he gives them the name. The feds like,
0: fuck, those are our three witnesses. And then. But he doesn't say that. He actually he doesn't say that those are the three witnesses. You the only thing that this movie.
1: the The fed does.
0: I don't think the Fed, the Fed mentions that they're witnesses at that point because later on you have um, Max asking Vincent who are these guys that you're offing and he's like oh I don't know but they they give off federal witnesses to me and then that's as the audience that's when you figure out I mean the, the, the commander guy
1: says it at one point he says uh, those are three witnesses um, because they just find out like another guy has been killed and then Ruffalo looks over and he's like, Oh, that cab has damage to it. And they run the plates and they're like, Oh, it's this guy named Max. And so the feds immediately like, all right, Max is the bad guy. And the Ruffalo is like, Well, no, I mean, not necessarily, because he has this whole cop thing that he's thinking, and he's like, Well, you know, he could have <laughs> the feds are like, Yeah, he could be a hitman that infiltrated the, you know, this cabbie's life and like he looks like him, so he's able to da-da-da. It's like none of that you know, makes sense. But the fact that just like, all right, well, we just got to kill this guy. I mean, there's no like, I guess right or wrong to this. Cause it's all kind of like craziness. And they're just like, we got to save our witnesses. Cause this is a huge case. Um, there, there's this other thing I want to talk about too. And the movie tries to explain this very like, I don't know, very like quickly, which is just, just like, how did they get all this information on these witnesses? Like that should kind of be protected. But I guess the uh, Javier Bardem explains like, oh, we have like the best counterintelligence and we figured all this out when we should. It's not public knowledge. So we figured all this out to get these people. And so maybe that's like why it's, I don't know, so easy for them to like, for this list to be created for Tom Cruise to kill these people and the FBI not be aware that like this could be happening. Yeah, it's just kind of like, I don't know, the whole thing is like,
0: that's odd. Yeah. You know how in Heat, there's like, backstory on certain characters that it never really like goes too much into it but you just you know believe it and eat it up as you're watching it and it's like it not a hundred percent of everything gets explained to you but you and 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 then when when we read heat two things became like more elaborated on certain aspects that the movie never even touched Right. right i feel like and I'm not saying Michael Mann should go out and have Collateral 2 written as a novel. But if he did, I feel like it would it would be a lot in the same vein as the way Heat was explained, with like a prequel and then a sequel. And the prequel would explain exact kind of like you know how um I think it would have to only be a prequel. Well, you know how kind of like how uh John Wick, the first one Sets up all this stuff, but it doesn't really go into much elaboration but then the second, third, and fourth keeps building this world of like hired hitmans and mercenaries, yeah, I feel like it's kind of like this, like collateral is just like the tip of the iceberg and this entire like faction that um you know Tom Cruise is hired into or whatever um or this criminal underground that heavier bardem is a part of but the movie gives us just enough to complete the movie. Not really like anything outside of this world. Yeah. But that's just John Wick. You just described like a hitman world. So it's just John Wick. Are you saying Tom Cruise is one of the John Wick guys? I'm saying that collateral transporter and John Wick all take place in the same universe. I'll allow it. Um, I, I think my favorite
1: scene is the Felix, Jamie Foxx scene where Felix is monologuing and the guys behind him are pulling their guns. And then Jamie Foxx like, just is like has to pull it together right then and there to save his ass. And is like, I'm going to beat that guy's ass with his own fucking gun. Um, and then he's like, in six years, have I ever not finished? And my favorite part, he's like, as a token of my appreciation for you giving me this information, I'm going to give you a discount of 25%. And the guy's like, Oh, thank you. He's like, you know what? Hell make it 35%. Um, and then he also, there's this cool callback where the jazz musician's name is Daniel and he says, tell Felix, I'm sorry. I had to do it. They were going to put me back in jail. I can't go back to jail. And when he says that, you're like, Tom Cruise is never going to fucking tell them that you said sorry. Like, he does not give a shit about that. But because Jamie Foxx is playing the Tom Cruise part in this little section, he's like, by the way, Daniel says he's sorry. And <laughs> Felix is so confused by this. He's like, why would he tell me that? Like,
0: uh, OK, thank you. Why? It's just so odd. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought that was gonna like um, play a hand in in finding him out later on, but it—I mean, Javier Bardem never comes back up into the movie, so
1: yeah. Um, so we next have everyone in this entire fucking movie is heading to this Fever nightclub. Yeah, you have the Feds, Mark Ruffalo following them, Max and Vincent, Javier Bardem's guys. guys yep. Yeah. All heading to this nightclub. It's a really cool scene. I like that, you know, Tom Cruise is like go up 15 feet and then take a step to the left. Um, and this is like when we get to see Vince at his like most badass, the way he like deals with these guys in sort of the hand-to-hand combat. There's also like the cops come out gun blazing. So the, you know, the Asian guys that are protecting that are protecting this guy that Vince is trying to kill, they pull their guns on them and then shoot one of the FBI guys, and then
0: just all hell breaks loose. Um, oh, yeah. The FBI guy that got shot on the leg never comes back into this film, does he? No,
1: I think it ends pretty quick. Like the movie ends pretty quickly after this. So it's like not necessary, I guess. But yeah, he just n- none of the cops really come back up.
0: The biggest like, oh, my gosh, moment I had in this film is when Ruffalo comes in and saves Jamie Foxx. He's like, I know you're not the guy. I believe you. You know, you need to come with me if you want to live. You know, very Terminator shit type shit. And Jimmy Fox is like, oh, my God. Thank God. Finally, a break from this crazy night. And then Mark Revelo immediately
1: gets killed. It also kind of doesn't make sense that Tom Cruise made it out of the nightclub before them. Did he like have a different exit? Does not make sense at all. Logistics are suspect on that part. But yeah, he shoots him. He's pretty much dead um and there's this scene right after this where jamie fox drives off and he hits into a, a cab just sort of sideswipes it yeah and there's this story he told i actually saw this when he when he was promoting the movie that when he was doing that that he's like oh, i can handle this and if you watch in the movie it's like very quick right it's like it's like it's it just hits it a little bit and it's like barely like an accident Well, when he's doing it, he's like, I can handle it. We don't need a stunt double. I can can do it. When he does it, instead of just kind of swiping the vehicle a little bit and keeping going, he just like fucking hits it and crashes fucking
0: crashes into it. And then he kind of crashes into a second car, too, a little bit. Well, he
1: crashed it and like stopped. And then he said everyone on the set came to the car and they all checked on how Tom Cruise was doing. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Uh yeah. And so then after this
0: <laughs> what a way to check your worth, right? Yeah, right. They
1: all cared about him. Um so then after this he starts driving. I like they're just kind of talking shit to each other back and forth. He like he's like, "Oh man, you're so fucked up cuz your father did." He's like, "Well, what about you? You know, you've been a temporary cab driver for 12 years." And then Jamie Foxx just starts driving really fast, and Tom Cruise pulls a gun on him. And Tom Cruise even knows like, "Well, this isn't going to work cuz he'll just kill me." Uh, and jamie fox like yeah fucking pull the trigger that's great that's exactly what i want kill me right now um and then they crash the car (laughs) and i love after they crash the car the tom cruise is like kicking jamie fox through the window he like breaks it open so that he can like kick him right to inflict damage on him and then he has to head out because a cop comes um and the cop finds the body and pulls his gun on Jamie Foxx, and Jamie Foxx is like, "Thank you, take me to county jail, please, like right away." But he sees Jada is the next victim. Yep. And so he does this move on the cop, and the cop starts yelling at him, and he's like, "This is a fucking negotiation. Shut the
0: fuck up." <laughs> he's, but at this point, he's fully become his character arc. He's fu- he's he's fully become Vincent. Um, then he, he steals is,
1: he steals that guy's phone right after the guy tries to stop him. and Then he pulls he like points the gun at him too, which is like, I mean that's a crime. Like that he could he could get in trouble
0: for that after this is all over. He's also like saved someone and like I don't know how you come back from that case. By the way, like that Javier Bardem totally still gets off right. Yeah, like well, all the is, witnesses are dead.
1: This is kind of a flaw in the movie, right? that you've killed all the witnesses. You don't need to kill the the prosecuting attorney because they're just going to put another on there and then you've killed a federal attorney. So now they're going to devote more resources to coming after you. It's actually like highly illogical to do that.
0: Yeah, but I guess like her surviving, she now becomes a witness to...
1: No. I mean she's not she didn't if if they don't go after killing her, she's not a witness to anything. She's just like, Oh, my case is
0: fucked. No, she no no no. What I'm saying is because Vincent went after her, she's now become a witness to being like, Oh, this guy hired a hitman to kill everyone, including she myself. She
1: doesn't, she doesn't it's not in her personal knowledge to know that why Vincent tried to kill her.
0: Okay, so Jamie Fox becomes a witness? Yeah, he
1: could. But my point, I mean, the point I was making is it just makes no sense to go after her. Um, it, if it is like just it's illogical. Um, but, you know, you have to
0: for the movie um, where uh, where he gets his phone and the battery keeps dying and the signal keeps dying. I'm just like, my fucking God, like, dude, the, I guess they didn't have 5G back in like 2004. Dude, but I didn't even have LT. What was it? Was it 3G? Yeah, 3G. Was but it then- a single G? But he had to like go on top of this like parking garage to like get somewhat of a signal. But I love how he can see the office windows and where she's at from the vantage point of the parking garage. I like that in this
1: movie. A lot of times when something like this happens, the people just don't believe the person that's telling them this. But Jamie Fox is like, Dude, he, I just I met Felix, and she's like Felix da 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 da. He's like, yeah, a Felix. And she's like, oh well, shit. He would, you know, she's like, he wouldn't know that name unless he's telling the truth. The rest of this has to be true. Like, I should listen to him. Um, but I like Tom Cruise is in her office. She happens to not be in her office. She's in the law library. Well, I love then- that
0: fake out too, where she's seemingly at her office, and yep. then he's seemingly going to her office, and then he busts down the door, and you think like, because it keeps intercutting with the phone call. You think there's a part where she believes him and she hides. And and the you know they the filmmakers just decided not to show you that. But in fact they're in two completely different floors.
1: Now logistic I I so I love when Tom Cruise Tom Cruise sees her cell phone at her desk. So he's like, she's in the building, and then he looks at the phones and sees that someone on the 16th floor in the library is using the phone. But logistically, he like so Jamie Foxx looks at her card. It probably doesn't have her cell phone number on it but let's say it does he calls the cell phone first she has an answer because she's not near her cell phone so then he calls the work number but the work number would either go directly to her Did office operator or it would go to like a receptionist normally right maybe right. like yeah. dial the extension but it rings in the 16th floor library right yeah. next to her which is supposed to be part of the fake out of thinking she's in her office but like it kind of doesn't make sense that it would ring right there.
0: And she's the only person in the entire building apart from the security guy who died. Does every phone in the office ring? Ring If, if, if someone calls dialed? after hours, like whoever answers it. They could have solved it easy, easily too with if she just had her cell phone on her and he just called her cell.
1: Yeah, but then you got to figure out why does Tom Cruise... Because when he's I mean, in... One explanation is that maybe she forwarded all the calls that went to her desk to the 16th floor because she's the only one up there. Maybe she could do something like that.
0: Oh yeah, I guess. I mean, I guess it doesn't. It's have it's still so weird. Explained either.
1: It, it, who cares? I this is the first time I've ever noticed it, and I doubt a lot of people noticed it. But it's just it was something I just thought about. This is why people listen to the podcast for cutting
0: edge information like this.
1: So Tom Cruise finds her. He's about to shoot her. Jamie Fox is like let her go. And he's like, what the fuck are you going to do about it? Just shoots him. And it's like, bro, shoot him two more times. Like right then and there, The movie's over. Just, just kill him. But instead they run. There's this scene where Cruz throws a chair through a window and it's clearly Cruz then tries to jump over the chair, but lands on it and falls to the ground. And that was a real take that man was like, oh, I'll just leave it in. And it's one of those ones that's so obviously a real take that it's funny that it gets left in. Cause it is just looked like so comical.
0: There's another part of this movie a little earlier that I found very comical where he picks up the trash can to try to break break the glass of the building and it just bounces off and then he pulls out the gun and and shoots the glass out. But I'm like, it's like one of those fake outs that would work in any other movie. Like it's worked in all the other movies, but they just wanted it to be a fake out because you're 100% expecting the glass to break via like the first try but like, there's no logical sense where you throw a street side garbage can into a building window and it shatters.
1: I mean, not a very good one. I think especially like a federal building like that. But I think it's funny. Um, I haven't seen this movie, but I want to watch it. I bought it. Uh, the movie Tag. And I keep seeing this scene where John Hamm is in a conference room and then he's like this guy's in there's like, you know, who is this? And it's... Um, I forget what's the guy's name, uh, but he's like at one of his friends who's trying to tag him and he's like, I've got you cornered. And he's like, no, you don't. He takes a chair and throws it against the window
0: and the chair just bounces off and hits him in the face and knocks John Hamm out. Um, Um, It kind of like reminded me of that. Did I ever tell you I was like in Atlanta? I was on the scene of that movie. Oh, yeah. No, yeah, yeah, you did. We've talked about it. And one of the funniest things was. We were there, and it's like it was weird because they didn't close the set completely, like it was the middle of the mall, and they didn't close the set completely. So, all of a sudden, there was like all this security and all these like people. And, um, me and Bill and like a couple other guys, you know, were, were there, and we were like, What the hell is going on? And then all of a sudden, we see Ed Helm, and then one of the guys goes, That's who oh. it was, Ed Helm. yeah, he goes, Oh, fuck, it's Ed Helm, and then someone very quickly comes up to us and go you guys need to leave now.
1: <laughs> we were um I was walking back to work when we were in Atlanta and they started filming. It was this TV show about like superpowers or something like that and there was a scene where a guy like drives down the road and like throws something at them like it's a hate crime or something. And um was every it the time boys? They... I don't think so. I think it was a different one because I remember what it was and it was like a CW thing. Oh okay. But um the like the people on the megaphones were like, guys, when we start filming, you can't just stand there and watch. Just please walk naturally, <laughs> because people were stopping to look at it. And they're like, you have to act normal if you're going to be like in the background of this, uh, which I just thought was really funny. So, back to this, um, I think it's also you talked about the coincidences in this movie, but Vince just happens to follow them exactly like the right way down to the trains to get on the exact right train which we think he doesn't get on the right train because he gets on the one on the above level. But it turns out that they went back up the ramp and got on that same one. Is Um, that
0: what happened? They went back up.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We just don't because Cruz doesn't go down. He just goes, he jumps across and gets to that one and they just happen to be getting on that one. So they would have had to have gone back up to get on it. Um, I mean, it's once again, it's like it's the only way the movie's interesting if he happens to follow them exactly. But you'd like for them to be some reason that he did instead of just him being like a magician. Um, (laughs) And this part at the end is very cool. One thing I thought about is like they get to a stop and like Jamie Foxx is like, should we get off or not? One thing I thought about this time is like as the doors are closing, Tom Cruise gets on. But if you hold the doors open, he's on a different car that doesn't hold the door open for the entire train. If you just hold your doors open, you wait till he closes his, you can then just get out <laughs> and yep. then he's stuck. Um,
0: but I so thought about d- that too. I thought about that too. Or like, yeah, I thought Jamie Foxx was going to jump out and take the bullet and let Jada go. That's how I thought this movie was going to end. If he lets Jada out though, Tom
1: Cruise is going to follow her because he doesn't care about, I thought about the two, but he doesn't care about Max as much as he cares about, you know, it, it, we're at the end, so we can talk about this. That what I think is really cool is so. First of all, I'd never thought about this before, but you know, there's a shootout at the end. Jamie Fox shoots blindly. Tom Cruise does the same, two bullets and then one in the head that he always does. But because the doors are closed,
0: mm-hmm.
1: his bullets get stopped, and Jamie Fox's random pattern kills Tom Cruise. Probably killed that old lady in the back. I don't know. He <laughs> No one got off the train after this shooting. Everyone besides those, those Jamie Foxx and Jada get off and no one else gets off, but it's just funny. So because of that, and you know, he does the random shooting, Tom Cruise reaches to get more bullets and kind of feels the blood. And then he just stops. Right. And what I think is interesting is, you know, he had the ability to reload and kill Jamie Foxx before he died, but he's like, Oh, I'm going to die. What's the point? I did I'm not going to complete my mission and I'm going to die anyway. I don't need to take this guy with me. And it kind of is like this, he's not like a pure evil guy. He's just right. this guy that like rationalizes the work he does and it's like this is what I do. It's what I'm good at. And he also throughout the movie he kind of likes Jamie Foxx because there's several moments where he could have killed him like he like saves when he throws him his briefcase. in the night
0: in the f- nightclub, um, yeah. In in fever, he legitimately goes out of his way to save him.
1: So it, it. I think the movie is very good at like kind of presenting Tom Cruise as like this nuanced hitman instead of like a pure evil guy, who's like you know has like no redeeming qualities. Like he's he's still a bad guy, but like you know there's there's layers,
0: I guess. Um. Yeah, I that could be partially why he took the role too, you know. Probably. Yeah, probably. I mean, overall this movie was not what I expected. I've seen this movie circulate quite a bit, you know, around Twitter and and I've seen screenshots of this film and I actually thought this movie was going to be a lot longer and a lot um more elaborate and I'm surprised how contained and focused this movie is um it it doesn't do a lot to branch out but not in a bad way in a good way um i'm i'm curious david uh what are the alternate castings so there's a bunch different ones but hit me uh,
1: ed norton was offered both roles okay um Val Kilmer was cast as Detective Fanning, but had to pull out for the movie Alexander, so Mark Ruffalo took that role. Um Colin Farrell was offered the role of Vincent. Oh, he would have been great. Well, and he does later do my advice. Yeah, he would have I honestly almost prefer would have preferred Colin Farrell in this. Tom Cruise is great. Um, but you know, you know my feelings on Colin it's, Farrell. It's,
0: it's hard to get it's hard to get over tom cruise being tom cruise the only time i've ever seen tom cruise completely lose himself in a role is magnolia
1: yeah i mean i think he kind of does in this too you know ironically enough the movie that i think he as a recent plays a different character than he normally does is um jack reacher really yeah, it like he is playing like a very different character in that. There's still obviously Tom Cruise shines through because he's Tom Cruise, but he is very different. Um, at one point, Mann wanted Tom Cruise playing the hitman and Adam Sandler as the cabbie, <laughs> which I actually really like. I think that works really well. That would have been funny. Um, and then according to Cuba Gooding Jr., he met with Michael Mann and um, wanted to play the role of Max, but... Because of Jerry Maguire, Michael Mann was like, I can't have Tom Cruise playing this and you playing that like it just it's it's not not going to work.
0: And basically, I'd much rather have Tom Cruise than you.
1: Um, And then so it's kind of funny. Russell Crowe was going to play this role, but he didn't commit because he was preparing for a movie called Eucalyptus, which was an Australian film that never was made that was going to star Nicole Kidman, Tom Cruise's ex-wife. And then there's also this funny thing where Tom Cruise used to date Penelope Cruz, who then married Javier Bardem. Right. And then Cruise was also married to Katie Holmes, who later dated Jamie Foxx. So Tom Cruise seems to be pretty... I think he's actually still friends with Javier. So t- Tom Cruise seems to be pretty cool. Like once once people break up, he's like, ah, that's fine. You know, whatever. It's got to be the, uh, the teachings, you know.
0: Um, I mean, Hollywood is such like a small world comparatively to like everyone especially like the top top actors and actresses within that um what am i thinking of elite you know the elites so it's not surprising that there's like crossover dates and marriages
1: well overall i'm glad we uh we switched it up did collateral instead of um oblivion oblivion yeah dude i fucking blanked on that um yeah, this is great. We do we need to do the Miami Vice movie. We need to do Ali. Like we just need to run through these Michael Mann movies cuz they're all
0: great. Not only, yeah, I I, I really want to do the Miami Vice cuz if it's anything like Tokyo Vice, it's, it's really good. Well, that um, one takes
1: place in Japan, I don't know if you're aware. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Does the does Miami Vice take place in Florida? Miami, I think. No way. Um not Some only do we have Lauderdale. to I get it. The joke is dead. Uh <laughs> Not only do we have to get through Michael Mann movies, but I still have yet to see all of Tom Cruise films. Um, and not the bad ones we mentioned earlier, but I, I really want to see Vanilla, Vanilla Sky. is definitely high up on my list.
1: Well, we'll have time. So, Thanks for listening to another episode of I Finally Watched. This is David. And this is Lon.
0: And I finally watched Collateral.